You're listening to a Scottish Poetry Library podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Scottish Poetry Library's podcast series and our last for 2018. I'm Colin Waters and I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes. 2018 has been a year of centenaries for Scottish literature. In November, we marked the 100th birthdays of W.S. Graham and Margaret Tate, both poets who also worked in other areas of the arts. Tate was a filmmaker, whereas Graham painted and drew. The year began, however, with Muriel Spark's centenary. Spark is known as a novelist, but she began her career as a poet. As we'll hear during the podcast, she was also the Poetry Society's Chief Administrator and Magazine Editor, and it was here that she was embroiled in a struggle over the direction of the Poetry Society. As she was also a literary journalist who wrote about poets such as John Maysfield and T.S. Eliot. Joining me to discuss Spark and her poetry are the editors of a new tribute anthology. So we have Rob A. McKenzie and Louise Peterkin. Rob is the author of the collections The Good News and The Opposite of Cabbage, and Louise is a Scottish Book Trust New Writers Award recipient uh, from 2016. Together, they have edited Spark, poetry and art inspired by the novels of Muriel Spark, which is published by Blue Diode, which they also sell. You can buy copies of Spark from Good Bookshops and the Blue Diode website, and that's going for a, a bargain price of £10. In November, Louise and Rob popped into the library to talk me through the idea behind the anthology, how they recruited such a good lineup of contributors, and what they make of Spark as a poet, as well as a novelist. I'm here today with the co-editors of Spark, an anthology, Rob McKenzie. Hi, Rob. Hello. And Louise Pierkin. Hi there. So let's start by asking, what inspired this book-length tribute to Muriel Spark? There's been lots of interest in Spark recently because of the centenary that's been going on there's been an exhibition in the NLS her books have been reissued and and lovely packaging and we've always been big spark fans and we just wanted to pay tribute because we're both poets and we knew she had a, a love for poetry as well and we just thought there was so much so many layers and depth to our books that um it's a gift to any poet to write about her novels, mm-hmm. that's what I thought. Yeah, and we, we, we started off with quite a modest idea, really. We, we thought we might just do a tiny little pamphlet, um, just a few poets, maybe responding to two or three or three or four of our, our best novels, that kind of thing. But then it just gradually grew somehow, and we thought, well, let's, why, why do just a few? Let's do all of them and have a bigger pamphlet. And then we thought, well, why not do a book? Uh, and of two poets just wanting to each yeah. novel because that would be interesting to get that that idea of uh, you know the, the 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 difference in approach between different poets different types styles different types of of approach so it gradually just grew until we had a book and then ended up thinking maybe I could actually design and typeset it and publish it and do everything. And actually, I didn't quite because the cover was done by Jerry Cambridge. I was incapable of coming up with a decent <laughs> cover. But so it's apart from the cover, a two-person show really. It's really done everything. Well, I co-edited Rob. It actually marks the first um, 
publication in Rob's Press, which he started up, Blue Diode. So it's kind of doubly exciting, a new book and a, a brand new book for mm. a new press, which is Rob's Rob's thing. Typesetting was no mean feat, so <laughs> I would have yeah, gone well crazy done. if I had to do well, that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, once, once you get the hang of it, it's okay. I'd, I'd never done it before, so it was all a complete learning experience. So you've got a really great um, selection of, of poets in there. Could you talk us through some of the contributors and maybe you know what they added to the flavour of the anthology? That was quite an exciting part of that, actually, just making a list of poets, uh, first and foremost, who we just we liked and we were interested in. And it so happened that s- some of the poets were, were very big names and um, forward prize winners three forward prize winners or yeah three really if uh-huh. you because there was sean o'brien there was uh, uh vanny Cappeldale, and also uh, sasha dugdale who won the the best poem in the forward yeah. prize so being involved in poetry ourselves we, we also know a lot of poets who we feel should be more successful or well well more well known than yeah. they are just because they're so talented, and um, it happened that less well-known names were on well, no, sorry, less well-known names were on the list as well. Um, uh, people that um, are up and coming, um, Lily Blacksdale, um, Wana Adcock. Yeah, quite a few. Yeah, there's 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 a there's a huge list of people who are who are really quite yeah. exciting mm. poets that maybe not not as well known uh, as, as some of the, the big names of course there's several yeah. um, former podcast interviewees as well we've got Bill Herbert in there and mm-hmm. Tishani Doshi so it's a really magnificent mix the, the list that we had included poets all over the globe as well we, I think it wasn't conscious but I think at the end of the day we're, we're glad to have a um, book that represents how far-reaching Muriel Spark is. It would have been easier just to be really Edinburgh-centric because she's a poet from Edinburgh and we're from Edinburgh and keep it in that circle. But we were interested in having a, a, a diverse group of poets mm. as, as much as we could um, for the interest of the reader and to also show how, how wide-ranging our influence is. You know, um, Tishani's um, Indian and um, we have... Um, a poet who lives lives in America, um, originally from Wales, but lives in America, and um, Zoe Brickley, Zoe Brickley yeah. and mm. so we were interested Jeanette in Lines, Jeanette. Yeah, Jeanette Lines in Canada. Yeah, yeah uh-huh, uh-huh. so mm. we're interested in showing how um, global Muriel's mm. um, reach is. Um, and what was the response when you said we're we're doing the Spark anthology based on a novel? Was it just you know they were they were. Oh, it was enthusiasm hu- immediate was hugely it hugely positive if you don't like her you, you don't like her but we were I wouldn't say we were surprised at how many people liked her but so many people were, even about the if they weren't asked themselves they were enthusiastic about the idea of the anthology coming out mm. and um, we can um, pay people so a lot of the time it was just based on people really wanting to do it as a tribute to Spark mm. and the enthusiasm that the feeling that I got that people were were really interested in, in paying tribute to her um, and writing a poem mm. in response to one of her novels. Yeah, and, uh, was, I remember uh, uh, speaking to, to Sean O'Brien and Sean, Sean O'Brien told me that he'd fallen in love with Muriel Sparks' novels when he was very young in his mm. 20s and he read voraciously uh, a whole lot of stuff yeah. and he particularly loved Memento Mori. Yeah. Um, but he also said to me, you know, it's a really difficult task that you've set us. <laughs> it's yeah. really hard to, yeah. to actually do something that actually is probably up to the standard he would wanted to write something in response to Muriel Spartan. I said, this is really tough. 
but I think all the poets really responded yeah. to the challenge, I think, and passed with flying colours, really. There's some really great poems. The, the actual way we did it is um, when we first asked people to do it, we had a spreadsheet online and we had all the novels listed with um, spaces for two poets to put down their name. And um, it was kind of, I suppose it was first come, first served. Mm. If, if your, if your favourite novel had gone, then oh. But it was good for the poets because it gave them a chance to read a novel and be introduced to a novel that they, they hadn't read before and been surprised by that. One, one of the, the um, poets, Judy Brown, she hadn't read any spark before and so she read Robinson that's the one that she she chose and she was just blown away by it and she said if they're all half as good as this I'm really you know looking forward to reading more so from that point of view it's also just really um you know good to introduce people to not necessarily mark a spark um outright but but like novels that they hadn't read read before some yeah. of the other uh, yeah, weirder titles the, the ones that are a little bit more obscure yeah. <laughs> maybe we talk a bit more yeah. about that um, so how did you first encounter Spark? did you encounter her poetry or by her prose? by her prose first of all um, I'm trying to actually remember exactly how it all came about um, it was certainly a long while ago with, in my case um, I'd, I had read Prime of Miss Jean Brodie I think that was probably the first one that I read I also had seen on the television um, Memento Mori when it first came out, I think. Yeah, it was a TV series like uh, with yeah. Maggie Smith in it, wasn't it? Maybe early 90s, something like that? Yeah, Ma- and Ma- Maggie Smith there was playing um, Mrs Pettigrew mm. um, from Memento Mori and uh, it was really great. It was a fantastic thing. And I think I- I'd also read one or two others as well um, you know, quite a week while ago, and I, but I just can't quite remember exactly what order they came in, and how it came about. But I always really liked her, her stuff, and uh, I'd sort of read occasional books just as time's gone on. When it came to this year, I actually read a few books as as when I heard the the, the year the, the centenary year was coming around, and I read a few books and thought, I oh, know I'd really like to read, actually all of them. And uh, so that was another spark, actually, which led to the Muriel Spark uh, anthology. That was this sense I had that I wanted to to read all of them and then and think about how to respond to them. I think that's what we kind of hope for for the book that people will read the the, the book there of, of poems and they'll be inspired then to read some of the Muriel Spark books and perhaps folk who who have who have read then the Muriel Spark books will then come back to some of the. The, the poems and, and maybe just see th- more things in them. There was a guy from the Muriel Spark Society who was at the the launch and he was saying every poem, you know, was just so many little bits and mm. uh, pieces, very subtle things mm. coming out of the poems. He said, I, he said I, I know the books very well, of course, and it was really interesting just to to, to catch these little residences mm. from the books. Mm. Louise, how did you first encounter Spark? Um, I think like uh, many people at, at high school um, on the curriculum, um, S, um, SYS, six year studies, English, it was the prime of Miss Jean Brodie, which I think um, the classic. a lot of people <laughs> s- s- end, mm-hmm. uh, sort of start and end with that book, which is a shame, but um, it is a classic. Yeah, I remember even at that age, just um, you, you, 
if you're not um, familiar with it, you just you, you see it's very Edinburgh centric kind of like you know, and and you look forward to seeing bits of Edinburgh that they might recognise it. Then you realise it's this like little gem of a novel, just so multi layered and dark. And even I think maybe at that age, um, I just thought this is incredible. This is um, the the sinister elements mm. to uh, you know Miss Jean Brodie herself and her influence. Um, and, and the toxic element of that came through um, the, the the layers of sort of um, references to dark things like fascism and, and mm. things like that. Um, and I was I just remembered the other day that um, one of my very first poems was published in um, an anthology of six year studies writing which they had collected over the years and it was called the Creme de la Creme. Ah. <laughs> so and I remember our six year studies. English teacher calling us the creme de la creme. So there's so many layers going on nice. there. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Quite complex, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. Laterally, I just picked up more novels over the year. I think when I started working at Edinburgh University Library, most most of the books upstairs on uh, when we've got a high demand area and it's just copies of the driver's seat mm. and copies which uh, copies of. Um, uh, Prime Minister and Bodie, which are the most studied one, but upstairs it's all our novels, and I just dipped in and out of them over the years. And um, this anthology gave me the chance to catch up on the ones that I hadn't read. And I think we were talking before, and you said that they're they're just a pleasure to read. Um, mm. The the, sh- the shortness of them is all like you you said it made them Moorish, which is such Very a Moorish. great great way to describe them. They're yeah. so slim and delicious, but packed with so many things mm, in them. Yes. Uh-huh. How do you see Muriel Spark in terms of her own poetry and maybe in terms of her influences fitting into the sort of Scottish tradition of poetry? Because, um, I mean, one of the things I think when you read the novels is that she was very much obviously influenced, and she said it as much as well, by the, the Borders ballads. What's your take when you were reading it? Did you, you know, did you feel resonances or did you feel as, as Scots yourself reading it there was some sort of you know connections maybe the mordant humour? It's hard to know how it fits in within a Scottish canon exactly mm. because um, I mean there is the it's, they're similar to her novels really in the sense that there is a kind of lightness of touch about them and a humour but there's also a, a sort of darkness at times as well and an, an oddity about them. Now all these things I suppose you could connect to some Scottish poets. You know, in, in Norman McCaig sometimes you get that sort of lightness, but you also get a slight undercurrent happening. And uh, I think in a lot of Scottish poets, you know, we have that kind of doom-laden sense of ourselves as Scottish people, but the sense of humour as well. So maybe the, there is that that sense of, you know, in, in that way, you know, Muriel Spark can connect with Scottish poets. But um, I wouldn't have thought she would have, well, she saw herself very much as Scottish. Um, and didn't like to be told she wasn't Scottish by some people, you know, because she'd been away for a while. Um, but I, I get the sense that, um, that her her poetry would, would not be seen as Scottish in a in a, in a very sort of small-minded way. Mm. You know, it, it, it tends to be it, it reaches out beyond Scotland as well. I think um, you'd have to fit it into a wider canon. I mean, she described mm-hmm. herself as Scottish by formation. Mm-hmm. There was certainly a period in her career where other Scottish writers, uh, such as Robin Jenkins, 
didn't really consider her to be a Scottish writer because she'd lived most of her life outside Scotland and set her books outside mm-hmm. Scotland. I think it's actually really interesting and actually really touching, I think, that, you know, this book has came out now and it's it's been spearheaded and features largely Scottish poets because it's almost like after 100 years after her birth, we've gone through those kind of culture wars, you know, about who's Scottish, who's not Scottish, are you sufficiently mm-hmm. Scottish? You know, these sort of interrogations of, of writers' intentions and backgrounds. And we're now, I think, a lot more relaxed about that kind of thing. And of course she's Scottish. She's a brilliant mm-hmm. Scottish writer, mm-hmm. you know. She's a real great... Her work is a great achievement, you know, for Scottish literature. And I think your book sets the seal on that and just says, who cares? You know, mm-hmm. she was born here. Her writing seems to me to be irreducibly Scottish in, in, in the best and most important ways. And I think your book mm-hmm. really does that, sums it up. It has an international context, but also, most importantly, it comes from, you know, within Scotland. We, we wanted to do both these things, yeah. We wanted mm-hmm. to we, to have a good number of Scottish poets because it felt important because of Spat's Scottish identity. But also we wanted to spread it beyond that, have people from all over the world, all, all kinds of different styles too. We wanted to go from the, the mainstream of poetry to the quite experimental yeah. and modernist, because that in it as well, I think, would have been, would have been approved of by, by Sparks. She wouldn't have wanted something very conservative and safe. And so we, we did want to get that whole spread and and show that she was she was somebody who was Scottish, but also had a, a global reach and wasn't parochial. The fascinating thing about Spark is that she was you know, experimental. Uh, some of her books are deeply weird, but she had a mainstream audience, a following. I mm. mean, it's basically what every writer wants, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we all, we all want to be so really yeah. strange, and yeah, everyone loves us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> still, still bring the sales in, basically. <laughs> Rob, you, you, your poem within the book is based on Symposium, which, um, do you want to give a brief sort of... Um, Summary of what Symposium's about and then maybe yeah. how you translated that into a, into a poem. Yeah, the Symposium, well, it's about a dinner party and it's about a group of characters who seem quite diverse, quite uh, unconnected to each other. And yet, as the, the novel progresses and it goes back in time a little bit and juts around the way a lot of Muriel Spark books do, you begin to realise they're a lot more connected than you at first think. And there's also uh, one character uh, who quite often sort of meets people and starts t- talking to them about this new philosophy uh, of, of Les Autres, the others, <laughs> uh, this new thing that's in France, it's all the rage in France, apparently some French philosopher, and uh, what she means is that, you know, basically it's all just about caring for other people, <laughs> and that's what this philosophy is all about, but uh, the reality is that well, I suppose there's two things. One is that she doesn't she isn't really that bothered about other people, um, beyond her very beyond her family actually, and uh, also she has this uncanny knack of whoever she sort of gets in contact with seems to end up dead. <laughs> and you're never, not quite sure how that happens, and yet she seems like a perfectly nice person. Um, so it's a very sort of complex book, actually, in the way they, in, in this person, this kind, this nice person who just bad things seem just to happen around her, and uh, Spark, you know, would have delighted in this character, I think, and that's what attracted me to to write the poem. Can we hear the yeah. poem? It's, it's called Les Autres. Not us, and yet cast in proximity, held ordinarily in occasional intercession. 
one simply has to think of them, les autres, who may as well not exist beyond abstraction, but somehow insist on our attention. Like philosophies that conspire only in languages we'll never acquire. French, make believe. As ever, like speaks unto like, and we, monocultural fossils, suck on leftover pheasant bones, sit bucks fizz, drizzle the interactive piss wall with compliments in kind. Love remains bridgeably immeasurable. We are les certains, les autres are not, unmistakably sane. Santa is our god. Prayerfully, we forget les autres really exist. Beyond concern, they die. One simply has to think of them. The book has a very nice um, introductory sketch, I guess, of, of Spark and her poetry past. Uh, so maybe we could we could touch on that. So from a very young age, like yourself, Louise, <laughs> your school magazine, um, she 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 was basically being groomed as a poet by her yeah. teachers. Do you want to say something about that? Well, I think she was quoted as saying she was elected something like the school poet and dreamer, and then just decided she had to be that. So there's a lot going on there and mm. ideas of your destiny and what you're born to be. But um, I think. Yeah, poetry was her was her first first love. She's she's down on the record as as saying that. Um, I mean, she I suppose like all all novelists, even from a young age, she probably just soaked in all the details mm. of of human relationships, human foibles. Um, I can imagine her just just taking it all mm. in. Um, One know. of those minds upon which nothing yeah, is lost ever. Absolutely, yeah. I think we should mention at this point Miss Christina Kay, who yes. was her teacher. Yeah, the blueprint for Miss Jean Brodie. Yeah, yeah, except I don't think she was ever quite as nasty. To be fair to no, her, star- her no. historical reputation, no. not as unpleasant as uh, finally as as um, uh, Jean Brodie was. She took the young Muriel and a friend to see John Maysfield read in Edinburgh. Yeah. He, he was the Poet Laureate at the time. And she mentions in Curriculum Vitae, I think the phrase that's repeated in the, in the introduction to your anthology is that she was destined for poetry by all her mentors. Yeah. Writers always rewrite their past to make it look inevitable, don't they, that they ended up where that's they true. are. Yeah. There's definitely a real sense that from a very early age, she's, as you were saying, being published in school magazines and whatnot, that she was, she was heading in that direction. And then at the age of 18, those sort of poetic ambitions just bang, right into, run into a wall. She gets married to Sidney Oswald Spark, SOS. Well, she always <laughs> says that the only good thing that he gave her was the name. Yeah. <laughs> like a gift of a name, Spark. Yes. Well, in Curriculum Vitae, she also yeah. says that he came to an early date with a bunch of flowers, which led her to say, always beware of men bearing flowers. Uh. <laughs> which, were, which was very true in her own instance. Yeah. She ended up, I think... In Rhodesia, her husband took her there. He couldn't get a job in, in Britain, and they went there. And it's just at the time World War Two broke out. Sydney Spark seems to have had mental health issues, which led to her having to leave Rhodesia, go back to Britain. She yes. actually had to take a, a convoy back from, from Africa to, to, to Britain. So it was actually quite dangerous. Yes. Mm-hmm. She could have been sunk and killed, thank the Lord. You know, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Back in Britain, 
worked briefly at Bletchley Park, uh, which is her experiences there are, are detailed to some extent in the, the Hot House by the East River, yeah. one of her deeply weird 1970s novels. Mm. And then, this is where I'm, this has all been preamble to me reaching the point where I, I mentioned she started work at the Poetry Society, mm. where as you know, <laughs> she had a terrible time. <laughs> I mean, you know what the poetry scene can be a bit like even today, you know? <laughs> it can be a bit fratricidal. And she certainly experienced that. There's always poetry wars, isn't there? And there were at that time. And, and Muriel Spark, I think, was was interested in some of the new modernist writers. And uh, that didn't go down too well with some of the traditionalists. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think there was, I, I guess, with, there are some people who, you know, they're maybe published in Poetry Review. And then a new editor comes along and doesn't fancy them so much. And they're not suddenly, suddenly they're no longer friends in the magazine. Mm -hmm. So it became quite difficult and she got involved in various disputes from what I can understand. What I see it all as is um, she was um, fabulously writing about any sort of clique, any sort of small society group mm. gathering. Your poem <laughs> yeah. is based on her book Reality yes, and Dreams. So uh -huh. how did you end up being attracted to that one? Because it's often, it's not... I mean, I've I've read all her books and I love all her books, but yeah. I'd probably put that near the bottom of my sort of um, list of the, the the ones to reread if I uh, had to, you know. Um, well, I suppose um, I, it was the only one that was left. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, Rob. Thanks, thanks for that. I was going <laughs> to going to put that in a nicer way. <laughs> no, I enjoyed Riley and Jeans. I think. Um, well, actually, it turned out um, great because um, I. I, I my poetry, I tend to write about films a lot anyway. The, the novel is about a film director. Um, he's a, a, a successful British film director who is atop a crane <laughs> in filming and dictating everything, directing mm. everything, and he topples off. Um, so the first part of the novel, he's, he's an invalid. Um, and it's all about his basically his god complex, um, his his um, being up on high on that crane. I suppose is a metaphor for mm. being a, a godlike figure, and um, the novel encompasses um, that element of um, she writes people about e she wrote her about a lot of egotism and and things like that. So um, in the novel, he becomes obsessed with the idea of making a film of a of a girl he, he spies in a catering a hamburger stall. Sorry. He thinks of her as a muse, um, but really he, he's not concerned with anyone other than himself. And um, he quickly abandons the the idea of this, or 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 tries to make it about something else. Where the muse, the muse herself, is very hurt by this. She wants to be centre of attention. As well as writing about films, I also write about um, a character called Sister Agnieszka, who's who's a nun. And um, I, I just put her in lots of different situations and um, it seemed appropriate to put her in this one. Um, I think uh, in a lot of other Muriel Spark novels, um, she, she, she seems to have nuns featuring a her lot in her. Her <laughs> Well, she was a Catholic. Um, she's got a great novel called... Um, uh, the Abyss of Crew. The Abyss of Crew, thank you, uh, which is um, a, a satire on the Watergate scandal, sort of um, scaled down and put in a, mm. put in a, a convent. Um, so I thought it was fitting to have this, this nun that I write about, and, and the nun herself is the one that actually sees the, the little details in the world, sees the grace in things. So it's a kind of um, Sister Agnieszka versus this, this um, guy with a god complex. <laughs>
So it's called Sister Agoneshka is Carmine Revenge. Stand on that hill, the director says, like a strawberry-scented switchblade. Splayed, you know the kind, propped up for a retail shot on wegotknives.com. Spread those legs and stand on that hill, like modesty blaze, your hands on your hips. He keeps pointing, angling his head, but there is no hill, only a screen of green from floor to ceiling. He hovers on his crane as she ascends the scaffold. A novice, hurled into this business, not from obscurity, but from a life starred with beauty, earned by her vigilant eye, a gift the Buddhists call Bodhi. On meeting the director, she notices hands, dictating the air around her cough, flat palm slicing, miming a box for her face, a canvas, blank, already framed. He pulled out a lipstick and three slick swathes painted a mouth over her mouth. Now she stands in a studio just south of Pinewood, her trailer downwind of the Portaloos. Starlet, muse, smile the colour of rage. Carmen, revenge. Her name and the blood of a thousand cochineal. The tagline would ooze on posters in moth-nod theatres beside saunas and vape stores. Sister climbs down for a fag break, swats away the makeup team like gnats. She considers the girl in the catering van, her grease paint, the perfume of tallow. A grace to her application, dedication to the craft of flipping, anointing grey burgers with red snogs of ketchup. A crane fly sizzles to a hiss on the grill. The director calls the crew to set by megaphone. Oh, he who must be, architect, creator of this creature feature, daddy long legs. I read that the book's dedicated to Matthew Sweeney, the late lamented poet. I just wonder if you would talk about him for a minute or two. Yeah, we we asked uh, Matthew if he could uh, do a, do a poem for the the anthology, and he'd he'd read the the novel that he was going to respond to, and he started trying to write something, but unfortunately, uh, he wasn't able to to really sort of finish what he was wanting to. He wasn't able to finish the poem. He emailed me about uh, 10 days or so before the deadline and, and said that he was just too ill to complete it and unfortunately he had motor neuron disease mm. and uh, then he died about 10 days after that. Uh, but he was, a, he was a really good poet, Matthew, and he'd, uh, he, he was also someone who, who was very good at, at getting other Passing or passing on, you know, some of his insights to to other people. He he wrote a tremendous book called Teach Yourself Writing Poetry, along with John Hartley Williams. And most books telling you how to write poetry, I think, are just rubbish. But but his book's great, and it and it also introduced me when I read it to a whole lot of really great poets who have still been important to me to to this day. I only met Matthew a couple, two or three times. But each time he's, he's a really interesting guy to talk to and to, to have a drink with as well. He's, uh, 
he's full of insight and but also quite quite funny on the, the British poetry scene. Mm. Um, he, <laughs> I don't I don't want to think about private conversations, no. but he but he was quite funny in some of the things that he he told me about some of the the poets who are around today mm. and what he thought of them. <laughs> <laughs> he was positive about some people, but not everyone, that's for sure. That's for um, a private... Uh, that's definitely private, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't want, <laughs> to give, wouldn't want to give that away. No, but uh, no, he was a fantastic poet. And so we wanted to... Just the way things worked out, we wanted to dedicate the book to him because of the, you know, the, the background to the book and the fact that he was going to write something. Well, that wraps it up for another podcast and another year. We'll be back in the new year with another podcast. And we'll be kicking off 2019 in style because our first podcast will be an interview with Don Patterson about poetry and aphorisms, so don't miss that. In the meantime, some thank yous. Firstly, thank you, dear listener, for, well, listening. Thanks also to Rob A. McKenzie and Louise Peterkin for coming in and discussing Spark, poetry and art inspired by the novels of Muriel Spark, which, as I've said already, but I'll say again, is published by Blue Diode. It costs £10 and can be found in all good bookshops, including the SPL shop, or you can order it directly from the Blue Diode website. And a final thank you must go to Will Campbell, who wrote and produced the podcast's theme tune. If you want to keep up with the SPL Between podcasts, there are a number of tried and tested ways. First off, our website, which has been redesigned, looks pretty good currently. You can look that up and the website address is www.scottishpoetrylibrary.org.uk. We also have a Facebook page at Scottish Poetry Library and we're on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at By Leaves We Live. Plus, we're on Instagram too, at SPL Scotland. So now that I've um, distributed, handed out, passed on our various social media platform addresses, it remains only for me to thank you for listening to the Scottish Poetry Library podcast this year and uh, to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and hope to see you in 2019. for downloading this Scottish Poetry Library podcast. For further information about the Scottish Poetry Library, visit our website at www.scottishpoetrylibrary.org.uk, follow us on Twitter at By Leaves We Live, and find us on Facebook.